If one of the hardest things to figure out these days is what to watch next, first of all, congrats. Second of all, you should check out HBO Max. Discover something new to watch on HBO Max like Lovecraft Country, the new HBO series from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams that's got everyone buzzing. Plus, HBO Max is the only place you'll find new binge-worthy Max originals like Selena Gomez's new cooking show. You heard that right, Selena Gomez's Learning to Cook, from some of the world's best chefs, no less. Find your next favorite all in one place on HBO Max. Start streaming today, download the app, or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. Hey everyone, Nate here. I want to share a few quick things about this bonus episode that you're about to hear. Uh, the first, okay, we recorded this episode before Charlie XCX's album dropped, so uh, you'll hear references to a quote, upcoming album. That doesn't make any sense, just ignore it. The album's out, go listen, it's fantastic. Second, our guest for this episode, the wonderful Danny Deal, called in from her apartment in Chicago, so you'll notice that the sound quality is a little rough, Finally, this is exciting, we have a survey. Okay, exciting, maybe that's an overstatement. Let's rephrase that, invaluable. We need to know about what you're listening to. It takes just a few minutes to fill out and it can be found here, www.voxmedia.com slash pod survey. One more time, voxmedia.com slash pod survey. If you can fill that out, we will be so grateful okay that's it thanks everybody and happy listening welcome to switched on pop i'm songwriter charlie harding and today i am joined by a very special guest hi i'm danny deal and i cover music and technology for the verge and i host a video series called the future of music so, Danny, you've brought to me an important story about a monumental shift in the way that music is released through one of today's most important artists. I think it's very interesting, especially because it's one of these things that's happened right under our noses for a very long time. It's been creeping in. Things have dramatically changed, but no one's really paused to think about how different the landscape is compared to a generation ago. OK, so where were things and what's changed? Well, it used to be for a really long time that artists would save up all of their songs and they would build up to this really big album release. Maybe they would trickle out one single or a second single ahead of the album release, but really you would save it all up for this giant package. And that's not really happening anymore. There aren't really any rules and that's because we can get music all the time for free. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely noticed this, that there are so many ways of releasing an album and or releasing music in general it doesn't even have to be an album anymore i think it's like only the biggest most notable artists with the biggest album releases continue to do sort of traditional cycles of like single 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 video 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 album tour but that's a rarity at this point it is a rarity and that's partially because most people can't afford to be quiet for too long online so now we're seeing that a lot of artists are just putting out singles and they might be a part of an album, but they don't have to be. And you've pinpointed one artist in particular who exemplifies this method. Yes, is Charlie XCX, who you might know from a few hit songs like maybe 1999 or Boys or Boom Clap. Ah! 
I really love Charlie XCX. I particularly appreciate that we share a name and I can be Charlie, not XCX. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. I actually think that we spoke about her song with Icona Pop maybe on even like our third episode ever of the show. So she's been with us for a while and I've been tracking her releases for quite a while. I think that her music and her collaborations are just constantly on the cutting edge. That's really true. And for the people that don't know that much about Charlie and her collaborations, she's really forward thinking about the type of person that she likes to work with. And Charlie, you actually know a little bit about that history, because I think you're a fan of PC music. Yes, I love PC music. So PC music is a label out of London that is almost like a performance art label where they are sort of almost like making commentary on pop music by making this like super hyper distilled version of pop with characters and the musicians are often sort of in character and Charlie XX is known to collaborate a lot with both the label head AG Cook as well as has she collaborated with Sophie as well? She has. Yeah, another one of the sort of more prominent artists that have come out of PC music, but they're almost like I think of them almost as like the Warhol of pop music. Mm, that's a really good comparison. Right? Like they're like leading this like very important art scene. They're making commentary, but it's also commercial. And she is, I think, really one of the most important voices in that community. I agree. I think she puts up a lot of people on pedestals that don't necessarily get the shine that they normally would in the public spotlight. But her album features tons of collaborations, and some of those include Lizzo, Sky Ferreira, Troy Sivan. It's, it's a really strong, eclectic group of individuals that also presents a social point of view that I appreciate. What do you mean? I think she realizes that because of streaming, because of the fact that we have infinite options, and there aren't traditional gatekeepers at radio stations the way there used to be. There still are, but now people can go onto YouTube and they can go onto Spotify and they can go onto SoundCloud and they can make their own choices without having someone put certain songs in front of their face. And she realizes that this makes for a much more open and inviting landscape to expose people to music that they might not otherwise see or hear. And so a sort of collaborative approach and working with producers like from PC Music and then mega stars like Lizzo, as well as sort of lesser known stars as a way of, of being a part of a larger music community and conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, these people are amazing. People that she collaborates with, like Cupcake, are amazing. But she also uses her position within the music industry as a way to introduce these artists that might have a harder time through the traditional gatekeeping methods. Oh, interesting. Okay, so there's a couple of things going on here. She's both releasing music in different ways in terms of, well, you we didn't really talk about it. Like, no, we, we didn't even talk about this. Yeah, before. like she, her, her approach to releasing music is, is not only to collaborate and expose new artists, but it also serves her purpose as well. Yeah, so I had an opportunity to actually go to Charlie's house. Not you, Charlie, but Charlie XCX. <laughs> and talk to her about this very subject. I think the new landscape really like lends itself to artists who are unique and have a different language and a very specific vision. Mm -hmm. The landscape lends itself to them being at the forefront, which I think is really good for pop music and for culture 
because mm-hmm. it's not like a bunch of like white males at radio stations and record labels deciding like what the general public should mm-hmm. listen to because they want to put their money and their investment and their backing into those people because they think that that will sell. So in that sense, I think streaming is good because it's it just opens everything up and everything becomes much more cross-pollinated and there's you know room for so many genres and it's right. not about radio, which is great. This is interesting. So she's saying that by breaking down the barriers of gatekeeping that had existed in traditional radio, people pay more attention to artists that have something to say in the streaming economy. Well, they have the choice. Right. Okay, interesting. Yeah, you're right. They do have more choice. And so they can click and choose what they want to listen to. But I guess my question for you about this, Danny, is aren't there also just like a new set of gatekeepers, right? You have like the people who control this playlist in Spotify? To a degree, sure. There are those. And I think we'll always have some form of gatekeepers, but there are more and more and more gatekeepers for more and more and more outlets, which is certainly a better position than I'd like to get my song on the one pop station in my town right, <laughs> that everyone right, listens to. <laughs> right. And then especially, you know, in the radio ecosystem, when you had the deregulation of the airwaves, the consolidation of Clear Channel and a handful of other, you know, super large corporate radio entities actually really seriously decreased the number of local DJs. So the gatekeeping was quite constrained during the late 90s era and in the aughts. And so, okay, this is interesting. So, so streaming does give people more choice and i guess if i'm able to choose what i'm interested in i'm going to go and find the artist that has something to say that speaks to me right we want to listen to what we identify with right and you could just listen to stuff that you like a lot of people do that but now because everyone is very available on social media you have the opportunity to become very close with an artist personality as well mm, it's almost- this is going way off topic but <laughs> <laughs> well but to bring it back to the sort of release cycle and sort of collaborative approach that, that Charlie takes, the the clip that she was saying, sharing about like the, the positive effects of breaking down gatekeepers means that she's also connecting with people that she's really interested in and collaborating with folks that she might not have otherwise found. 100%. One of the collaborators on her album, Cupcake, her fans suggested that she check her out because they thought they would get along. And now they have a song together. Wait, that's so cool. <laughs> that is very cool. So one thing I found notable about Charlie XCX's releases is that she always is introducing me to new people that have all kinds of amazing sounds. Like the track that she did with Christine and the Queens recently was... Phenomenal. Right? Mm-hmm. I feel so I think I first heard it via recommendation from a listener of the show. I'm curious from your perspective, you know, you've, you've talked with Charlie and you've studied her music closely. Does she have sort of a method that she chooses in terms of who she collaborates with, how, why? Well, I think she's very conscious about what that person represents in terms of what they stand for morally ethically, who they are as a person, what type of fans do they have. But at the end of the day, she really just goes toward the type of artist that she would want to listen to every day. She's very intuitive with who she picks. Hmm. Are there any particular artists 
who do stand out to you in terms of the content message that they have to say with Charlie? The timing that Charlie XCX had with her collaboration with Lizzo could not have been more spot on. Mm, blame it on your love. It was so perfect. It came right at the time when Lizzo was really breaking online and Everyone had to have a piece of her and know who she was and watch her playing the flute on stage. And the flute became right. cool again. And everyone <laughs> was having a moment. And I felt great for all the people involved. So this gets back to what you were saying, where the way in which you release music today requires that you be constantly a part of the conversation. Like you don't have time to disappear for a long period of time unless you're one of the biggest megastars in the world. That's probably on a business level what's happening. I think with Charlie, right. she's always intuitively felt that that's how she wants to operate in music. She wants to put out things when she feels like it. She views what streaming has afforded artists as a freedom rather than something she constantly has to catch up to. But you have to realize that she's also a very online person. Her name, Charlie XCX, is her first MSN Messenger screen name from when she was a teenager. I love that. <laughs> and she was discovered on MySpace. MySpace? Mm-hmm. This doesn't add up because I feel like she's pretty young. She was discovered at 13. That's ridiculous. Yes. And she started playing raves in England. <laughs> that was where she got her she's start. She's been in the music business since she was a kid. Yes. Wow. I think she grew up not knowing anything else. Having hmm. all of the freedom in the world to put out music and not have to wait for any of these barriers, like signing a label deal. Well, the label feels like we need to build up my PR before we can release something. So that's gonna be another six months. Uh, what am I gonna do in the meantime? I guess I'll sit around and try and build my Twitter. She can just, she can <laughs> literally go online and drop a track and not tell anybody and it's fine. I want to release music when I feel like it mm -hmm. and how I want to. And I find that particularly major labels who have like a very like strict structure of how they want artists to release music that just doesn't really work for me. And I don't mm -hmm. think, especially now, it doesn't really work for my fans. I think fans are hungry for content and for music from their favorite artists. And there's so much out there at the moment that they can get whatever they want all the time. So it's very, everything's very like rapidly digested and people want more. Everything moves so much quicker mm -hmm. now. I totally agree with Charlie. And it's not just because we share the same name. It's because <laughs> I don't like, I, I think about my favorite album releases this year and they stick with me for like on a great album, like maybe two weeks but it's often like one week and then it's like, oh, there's something else that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, with Charlie XCX, like you and I have been texting over the last couple of weeks. Every time a single comes out, we're like, oh, there's another single. It's mm-hmm. so exciting. And, it, and, and she really is winning my attention in that way. And what's even more interesting is the way that she's releasing this stuff, which is with little heads up to the general populace. Mm. It's, hey, by the way, in a couple of days, I'm going to drop this single with a major artist. Have fun with that. It works. <laughs> Traditionally in music, the thought is that you would have to build up the press and the hype around all these drops that an artist would have. And now people like Charlie just come along and say, ah, decided to drop a remix with Diplo today. Hope you like it. You know, if we live in an attention economy, one of the attentions you need to grab is that of the press. And yet there are fewer and fewer music journalists working. And so if you want to get their attention, I mean, you have to have the biggest, biggest, biggest thing. And why not just go directly to your fans when you have millions and millions of followers on social media? It makes sense. Part of the game is like to get people's attention you have to just like put out as much content as possible. Mm-hmm. But then you have the challenge of like, does any of it stick? Mm-hmm. And so when you're competing against all the other things that could be heard, I think to her point, like it actually increases attention towards things that have with to, to artists that have something really potent to say, mm-hmm. some unique sound, something powerful. And that those are the songs that for me are the ones that end up getting on repeat. And also what's, really interesting is because of this shortage in attention, we're seeing artists not only release music more frequently, but it's actually changing the structure of how songs are written. Yeah, we've talked about some of this on the show. What are some of the things that you're noticing? What was the, oh, the pop interlude. That was one that, that you'd picked up on, right? Yeah, we called this the the pop overture, right? This is the idea. Pop that, overture. Yeah, yes. yeah. So so this was like, because your song only gets a royalty payment if people listen through the first 30 seconds, you have this challenge of like, how do I grab somebody and then make sure that they stick around? And in order to grab someone's attention quickly, what we've seen is more and more artists putting some form of the chorus first. But if you do that, you kind of have this problem. Like a song wants to be an emotional journey and you have to have an apex at some point. So if you put the chorus first, you might hook someone in, but you've sort of blown the biggest moment of energy immediately. And so where do you have to build to? And so what we've been hearing is this idea that you grab like a little snippet of the chorus, like uh, actually like Truth Hurts by Lizzo has it. She just gives you like a moment of the chorus right at the beginning. So you're like hooked in and you want to hear it again and you got to get past that 30 second mark, hopefully. I think that's the intent. Yeah, it is a thing. And there are a lot of other tricks that Charlie herself uses. She says that she doesn't use them for herself a lot, but she does a lot of songwriting for other artists. Right. And when she is writing for other artists, she likes to use every trick that she has. Like chorus within like the first 30 seconds. No, like, weird self-indulgent intro, which is basically all my songs I put on my album. Um, (laughs) Hook at the top in the intro. Probably, maybe even start with the chorus. Like, second verse, half as long. Probably, like, no pre-chorus. Just after the second verse, no pre-chorus. Straight into the chorus, done. I mean, you don't ever hit all of them, because, you you know, no one's a complete psycho. Well, there are a few psychos. (laughs) But, like, 
everybody is thinking about it. I, I find when when you're like you know making mm -hmm. like a bit trying to make like a big pop song. This for me really makes the sort of Warhol comparisons stand out where it's like you have this artist who is collaborating with a whole scene of people that are making work which is both like sort of meta commentary on popular music but also like clearly intentionally made as big pop hits. Like it, it, it just like it exists as both at the same time and she's aware of all of the sort of you know, like secret formula techniques and then realizing that if you just apply all of them all the time you get like vanilla pop song uh, those songs that you know you and i forget the name of and you go on to the next thing she's very aware of all of these little things that she can adjust in a song to make sure that people's attention is hooked right from the very beginning but she also admits that she doesn't like to use that for her own songs and she likes to be self-indulgent. <laughs> it's a tightrope and I feel for that. Yeah. It's It's gotta be difficult to know that you're writing music for people that are trying to listen and scoot through the tens of thousands of songs that are released every single day yeah. and also create something meaningful. Right, she's conscious of this both at like the micro level and the macro level down to exactly where the hook should land within the first part of the song all the way to how you should release these songs so that they maximize attention and yet is still trying to make sure that her work has something to say. It's a, it really is a tightrope, as you say. I also feel like it's important to point out that she's not the first to take on these techniques, right? Like releasing mixtapes, releasing a barrage of singles. I feel like that is thoroughly coming through the world of hip hop. It is exactly coming through the world of hip-hop. There are tons of different genres that have existed on the mixtape format, on the singles format, basically on any format that is outside of the traditional major label album release cycle. Right. And it's just more rare to see it in pop, and it's even rarer to see it at the level of pop where Charlie XCX exists. Most people that are in pop that are superstars are still adhering to big album pushes right. and towards redefining themselves in eras. Mm, so like a la Taylor Swift. Perhaps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a la Taylor Swift. But yeah, going back to your point about other genres and people prior to her that have done this, you're completely right in that other genres certainly have existed and been built upon singles and mixtapes and all these other different methods of releasing music, there's a term for it now, hmm. and it's called the waterfall strategy. Have you heard of it? I have heard of the waterfall strategy, but I'm not sure everybody has. Do you mind breaking it down for us? Yeah, so the waterfall strategy, there's no big tricks here. It's basically you put out a single, and then you put out another single a couple months later, and then you put out another single a couple months after that, and eventually you accumulate enough singles that you can bundle them up and repackage them as an EP or an album right. with a couple new singles. Right. This is something that has been very common in other genres like hip-hop and dance for ages, but is relatively new when it comes to pop. Hmm. And Charlie XCX has known about it for a very long time. Personally, what I think we'll see more of is what the Chainsmokers dubbed the waterfall release strategy. Oh my god, I, that my favorite term. Wait, are you, are you being facetious? Or? Yes, I think <laughs> it's just like, it's really funny because like whenever, like I've heard that term for like 
three or four years now and like it's like whenever I go to like a meeting with my label or used to not really now but I'd be like you know like let's put some music out guys <laughs> and they'd be like yeah you know we've been thinking about this new strategy it's called the waterfall strategy and I'm like great like what the fuck is that then <laughs> and they're like well you know you drop one song and then three months later you drop another one and then three months later you drop another one and that's the waterfall and I'm like wow okay like let's everybody got paid today great like it's just it's like yeah that's just dropping songs like right <laughs> I love that. It's like if you have a fancy name for the thing, right, then like all of a sudden it's a thing that people can go to business meetings and talk about to try to explain what the artists are doing already. And like, and she's so thoroughly of the MySpace world. It's like, like, yeah, that's what I've done ever since I started making music. Right. Thanks for catching up. You're a decade late. Sorry, executives. I mean, just personally, I love her fake exasperation yeah. at the meeting. Just, great, everyone got paid today. Thank you for catching up on the latest internet trends. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this, this strategy that she so eloquently told us about is something that we are seeing more and more and more as a regularity and not even something that people are knowingly doing. It's just how people put music out now. You just put singles out and maybe you put a mixtape out and maybe you put out an album or maybe you don't and all of that is fine. It's also like just entirely not that new as much as it seems new because there's still so, I think as we're sort of joking about the sort of sometimes the slowness of an industry to, to catch up to a, uh, a new reality. The single was basically killed off in the 90s by the recording industry because albums were a more successful way of making money. But singles were a primary method of music purchasing discovery interaction for many, many consumers. They were essential. And of course, we know that singles all came before the album. It wasn't until the long playing record that the single even existed. And it was an intentional effort to sort of kill off the single. You know, say you wanted to hear I mean, Baby One More Time or something, like you got to buy the entire album because it, maybe it wouldn't be available as a single. I'm not sure if that one wasn't available, but there were many examples of songs that were intentionally held from a single release to encourage you to buy the $15, $20 CD. Well, and do you know why that evolution happened? Why singles were popular at one point and then it got overtaken by the album and now we have a free-for-all? I have no idea. It all has to do with the methods that are available for how we release music. What do you mean? So singles used to be popular way, way back in the day 50s, 40s, yeah. and that was because vinyl at the time could only hold about three or four minutes of audio. You couldn't put out an album. If you put out an album, it would be a stack of records. Right. The album became popular when vinyl could hold more space. So as soon as artists could take advantage of having 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes on a single unit, then that's what they did. And they could charge more for it because you could put multiple songs on one piece of vinyl instead of having one three-minute song. Yeah. That existed all the way through the cassette tape and then the CD, and then everything got shaken up when iTunes rolled along. Mm. And that was because it was the first time in a very long time that 
there was a platform where you could buy a single independent of buying the whole album. Oh, that's right. Didn't Apple have to fight tooth and nail to be able to sell songs independently? Yes, artists didn't want that. Hmm. They weren't used to it at that point. Hmm. By that point, they'd had 40 years of pretty much only knowing how to release music through albums. Huh, right. And then, without having any choice or say in the matter, Apple strolls along and says, hey, we're going to have this marketplace, and we're going to allow people to cherry-pick whatever songs they want, right. and they can buy one song from your album, they could buy three, or they could buy the whole thing. Yeah. But it's up to the consumer, and it's not up to the artist anymore. And that upset a lot of people. Yeah. ACDC pulled all of their music off of iTunes at the time. They said that they were not a singles band, they were an albums band. Huh. And Estelle also had an album at the time that her label pulled off the platform for three weeks because they found that about 90% of the purchases were just of American Girl. Here's what this makes me think. It's like, haven't we always been singles listeners? Like, I feel like albums in, re- in, in reality are for fans. If I think about like the biggest pop acts that I know, let's just say like, I don't know, Madonna. I don't know Madonna's deep cuts. I know all of her singles, right? I have albums of artists that are very important to me. I know their entire catalog for sure. But when you're talking like the breadth of popular music, say you're going to a wedding or a dance and people are playing tracks that everybody knows, those are singles. They're like the deep cuts are there for the, you know, when you're out spinning and DJing, you throw in some deep cuts in between to please those like super music heads. But in reality, like, I feel like what we know are the singles, the things that had gotten radio play, and that is what people have always wanted. Yeah, I mean, but that you could also say that about any form of art. I'm not particularly into painters, but I know if we're going to bring up Warhol again, I know the soup can. Yeah, of course, right. I think every, every form of art has its moments that break through into the mainstream and achieve this hyper level of popularity that saturate and everyone can get on the same train and roll along with it. So to that point, Charlie XCX has been trying these really creative methods, borrowing release structures from hip hop and dance music, collaborating with some of the greatest artists in pop. Has she had that moment yet? Does she have her soup can moment, so to say? Oh my gosh, this is really hard for me to answer on behalf of someone else. The first time that I became aware of Charlie was through Boom Clap. I think that was a pretty seminal moment for her. I think she now is more ambivalent toward that song and maybe not in in love with it the way that she used to be. But that probably had the greatest mass appeal out of anything that was in her catalog. But I also think that now you don't really need to have mass appeal in order to be a star. And I think that that's something that streaming has afforded a lot of people. She's certainly garnered my attention as a musician. And it seems as though I know that for a lot of like indie musicians, streaming has been a very difficult transition away from album sales. But there seems to be this like, not Taylor Swift level fame, but you can have like, you can be Charlie XCX and have a really successful career moving across singles, working with lots of different artists and and have a, an important position um, and successful career, it seems. Oh, yeah. She 
One thing that really struck me, actually one of the reasons why I became hyper interested in talking to Charlie about this subject is because I noticed in several different interviews, she very specifically said, you don't need a radio hit to be a success. And I thought that was very interesting and very plain spoken for an artist of her stature to, to say. And I wanted to know, I was like, oh, this woman obviously has some feelings about the music industry. I'd like to know a little bit more about that. And sure enough, she's bucking every single trend, doing her thing, headlining fest- festivals like Pitchfork, yeah. is able to announce an album with three months notice and drop multiple singles without telling anybody and then go on a world tour. Yeah, I wonder to the degree that this is a replicable method. It sounds as though she just happens to really understand how to make music today. The internet? Yeah, right. (laughs) I love that. She really gets the internet. And you have a really fun conversation with Charlie XCX on your series, The Future of Music, in which we actually continue this conversation. And I want to encourage people to go and check that out. Where can they find it? They can find it on The Verge's YouTube channel. That's just youtube.com slash The Verge. Everyone should go check out your video on the future of music on The Verge on Charlie XCX and her release cycle and all of her creative things to say about the music industry. Danny, this has been so much fun. Thank you for joining me. No, thank you. Switched on Pop is produced by Charlie Harding and Nate Sloan. Huge thanks to our guest, Danny Deal. Check out the Future of Music series. We'll throw a link to that in the show notes. It's totally awesome. Brandon McFarland is our fearless editor and engineer. Megan Lubin, our production fellow. Our executive producers are Nishat Kerwa and Liz Kelly Nelson. We're a proud member of the Vox Media Podcast Network. You can find more episodes at switchedonpop.com or any podcast player you like, Spotify, Apple Podcast app, on and on and on. We will release a new episode next week and reach out to us anytime to tell us about what you're listening to uh, on Twitter at Switched on Pop. Until then, thanks for listening. And one more important note, if you haven't yet, please go to voxmedia.com slash pod survey. It's a quick, uh, just a few questions about what you're listening to that'll help us and all the good people at Vox serve you the best possible stuff. So once again, voxmedia.com slash pod survey. <laughs>